0: Free from these chains. Well, we're in our series, Breakthrough. I want to talk to you this morning about how to break through depression. And this is a, a subject that is really close to my heart because it's one of the things that I've dealt with, suffered with throughout my lifetime. I want to share with you uh, from a, a passage of scripture that really just shows us that Depression is part of the human condition. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't gloss over the the things that its heroes are dealing with. And some of the greatest men and women of the Bible dealt with depression. King David dealt with it. We see it in the Psalms, all through the Psalms. That's why sometimes when you're feeling really down it's good to go to the Psalms and, and, and just read through them with David. Jeremiah the prophet dealt with depression. Even Jesus himself had to deal with depression and depressive thoughts and so I want us to look at one of the great prophets of the Old Testament this morning, the prophet Elijah, and see how he dealt with depression and how God dealt with him in depression. We'll take a look at that. We'll pull out your sermon notes if you will. And I've got some things in there for you, uh, pretty extensive um, scriptures, so we'll have them up on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 19 and and look at it there. What is depression? Well, from a a clinical perspective, depression occurs when the brain cannot hold serotonin and dopamine and some of those other feel-good hormones, and, and... The the feel-good chemicals that our bodies naturally produce that give us a a sense of well-being. That's the chemical side, the organic side. From an emotional perspective, depression is a turning away from the outside world and and closing in on the self. Everything other than self gets kind of locked out and closed out. And there's this kind of inward-looking feel. Cheryl Denton says this, I've suffered from depression and I know how it feels to be so emotionally isolated that nothing seems worth doing anymore. There have been times when I didn't even want to eat, sleep, play, or even breathe anymore. I saw myself as a worthless creature taking up space on a planet where I had become obsolete. In this passage, we're going to read, there's a whisper from God to Elijah. We'll see it in a moment. What are you doing here, Elijah? But I think God's whisper is also to us. If we can really listen, some of us this very morning find us in a place we never thought we would be depressed, maybe cynical. Well, the, the, the truth is that a lot of us this morning, we, we, we can't even admit it to ourselves, but we're very very angry and were angry at God Elijah was there and it's hard to face it seems like just the other day or maybe it was a long time ago that you were on fire for God that you were sensing God and you felt his presence and he was moving and now it seems like he's a million miles away so what do we do this passage blows my mind with what it teaches us about the character of God for those of us who suffer depression. And if you say, well, I, I don't feel that, take good notes because for most of us, there's going to come a time when we go through this. So let's look at our passage. In the last day or so, right before the passage, Elijah has done this crazy thing. He's He stood up on the the mountain of Carmel, it's called, and... and uh, not like chocolate and caramel, okay? But it's like Mount Carmel in the, in, 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 and it's where he called down fire from heaven and the people bowed down on their face and said, the Lord is God. They'd been worshiping this this ugly, awful idol called Baal. and And so he was supposed to be the God of fire, Baal was, and God sent fire down to prove that he was the one and only God. So that's... Where we find ourselves, and Elijah thought that everything's gonna turn around for Israel now. Something's gonna sweep through Israel. They're gonna return to God because they've been so far from God. But he gets word from the wicked queen Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel are on the throne right now. She says to Elijah, By this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. If I haven't killed you by then, may the gods do that to me. You're a dead man. Elijah, I'm coming after you with all that I am. And so things didn't begin to turn around. The queen wasn't affected at all by the the miracles. She was stepping into Baal worship stronger than ever. And Elijah despairs, and he runs, and he flees. And that's where we find it. I want you to see, first of all, I want you to recognize that depression has twin roots. Write that down. Depression has twin roots. The first is your organic nature. That's the first root, your organic nature, your chemical makeup. That hormone, serotonin in your brain is part of what causes you to be depressed. That's why those uh, SSRIs, serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac and others can help with that and there is something to that organically. And so you don't need to just throw that out. But listen to how Elijah was affected and what was going on with him. It says this, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came to a broom bush. Others say a juniper bush. It's the same thing. It looks like they used to make brooms out of it. So that's why it's called a broom bush. It looked like a broom. sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. One of the things we see here is that everybody collapses sooner or later. Everybody goes through this. Even the great prophet Elijah said, I'm done, I'm cooked, I'm finished, stick a fork in me, let me die. I just want to, I don't want to live anymore. You see there are no supermen or super girls in God's family. I think we like those movies so much, you know, the Avengers just got to a billion bucks faster than any other movie ever had because we see those super people, you know. If only we could have some of those, none of us are like that. God said we're made from the dust of the ground. There's no super dust, okay? All of us are frail and fragile. And so in verse four, Elijah says, take my life, I'm no better than my father's. What is that, it's kind of obscure. But here's what I think Elijah was trying to say. He had studied the history of his people And what he had seen is there was no generation that had ever lived that had really turned to God all through that generation. What had happened is there would be a little bit of a turning to God and then something evil would happen or something would begin to cause a turn away. And so Elijah thought when he called down fire from heaven, this is the turning point. This is going to be different this time. But then the wicked queen, Jezebel, says, no, it's not going to be different this time. I'm going to step up and squelch it right now. And so he realized I haven't done any better than any of the prophets before me. I haven't done any better than any of the preachers that ever came before me. We we kind of felt like something started, but it's not started at all. And so he feels that he's basically saying, God, this big experiment of yours it's not it's not working. It hasn't worked in the past. I don't see it working now. It, it's no better now than it ever was, and I'm worn out. I'm done. You, I, I can't conclude anything but that you don't know how to run your universe. Elijah's breakdown is classic. He's over adrenalized, overextended, emotionally depleted, and he's brooding over all these feelings of failure and he just collapses in self pity and he sleeps the sleep of depression. Have you ever done that? I remember uh, in my late 20s. I would just come home after work sometimes and just lay on the bed and put a pillow over my head and and just want to go to sleep. I was so depressed. And uh, it was just because that was the only place that I could kind of get away from it. Maybe you're there, maybe you feel that. That's pretty much what Elijah's doing under the broom tree, you know. If he just had a pillow, he'd put it over his head. And, And so, here he is, and look what happens though. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. He's worn out physically. You see, we have this tendency to dichotomize, to categorize our life. There's the physical, there's the spiritual, there's the emotional, right? And and what the Bible really says is, no, no, those are all in there together. You need to understand that um, you really can't draw these little segmented lines where your physical being stops and your spirit begins and what you're dealing with. And the issues that you feel and face. In depression, it's especially true. What is organic, physical stuff? What is spiritual? What is emotional? It's all blended in there together. And to deal with depression, you have to deal with the whole picture. And so, here's God. And what I love about God is he didn't give Elijah a lecture, did he? See, See, here's the thing. Elijah running that was not God's plan even when the wicked queen stood up against him he wanted Elijah to stand he was working he had a plan but God didn't do it like Elijah thought he was going to do it and so Elijah thought he's not doing anything and so he runs and when he runs that little spark that courage that had swelled up in a few hearts around to, to maybe follow after God it just died and that was really on Elijah He was blaming God, but he was the one running. And so this great prophet who had stood up alone against 400 and something prophets of Baal, he was the one that ran, and everybody lost courage. And and, and so this, this spark of a movement that had begun back toward God just sputtered and died in Israel in this moment. Now, if I was God, how would you treat that? Well, you look at God, and he doesn't ever do what you think he's going to do. You see, he knows us. He's mindful of our frame, the Bible says. He knows that he made us out of the dust of the earth. He knows what we're like. And so he didn't give Elijah a lecture on his failures. He simply gave him food and drink. Elijah's the first one that ever got manna from heaven. An angel came down and gave him some bread. It must have been some amazing bread because he... Didn't have to eat again for 40 days as he moved, you know? Imagine that. And the water in the jar from the river of life flowing from God's throne. The first man on earth to ever taste it. What we'll all taste in heaven. But God said, I love you. And it it, it says that twice the angel came. And think about this. Elijah had gone a day's journey into the wilderness. So the first time the angel came was at night. And he touched him and he said, Wake up, Elijah, get up, eat, drink. And then Elijah lay back down, and all through the night, all through the night, the angels watched over him. God was there. Elijah felt like God was a million miles away, but he was right there. He was watching over him in the morning again as as the dawn began to come up in the desert, the wilderness, and he's under that little broom tree. The angel touches him again and says, arise, eat and drink and there again he's provided for him. that's that's what God does see God doesn't have you on a performance-based scale some of you think I've got to perform for God I've got it because you grew up that way your parents had you on that kind of that hamster wheel of performance and you're always trying to perform for people and do for people and do for God and God's going like I don't have you on that scale I just love you my little daughter I just love you my little son I love you as you are The crazy thing is God loved Elijah as much under the broom tree as he did when he was on the mountain calling down fire. He loved him the same. His love didn't change. Now to Elijah, he felt like God had moved, that he was a million miles away, but he hadn't moved at all. It's amazing. I want you to see the second root of depression. Your organic nature is the first, and the story... You are telling yourself is the second all of us have a story all of us have something in our mind of what reality is that doesn't mean that it's reality in fact there is an, a, an objective reality outside of us some people would say there is no truth it all slides around the Bible says no there's objective reality the only problem is you don't have it and the further you get from it the further you get from health Schizophrenia is a long way off. That's when your map is so off that you see the world as a whole different place than it actually is. And you become paranoid or you begin to hear voices and and all of this. But all of us, none of us are right dead on normal. In fact, look at the person next to you and say, you are not normal. Just tell them right now. You've been wanting to do that for a while. (laughs) All right? None of us are normal. Some of you are enjoying that way too much none of us are normal we're not we're not normal we're off in some ways our reality maps are off in some ways and that's what the Bible wants to do is help us bring that back together but we're telling ourselves a story listen listen to Elijah's story the word of the Lord came to him what are you doing here Elijah and he replied and it's interesting because he replies this twice in this passage exactly the same he's told himself this story Every step of the way out into the wilderness, all the way to the mountain of God, he's in this little cave, and God says, what are you doing out here? And he's got this story down by now, okay? It's just going around and around in his head. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He says it exactly verbatim twice like that. It was as if, in Elijah's mind, all the miracles, they they changed nothing. It was as if God, even on his best day, couldn't establish righteousness where unrighteousness had existed before. After all of Elijah's efforts, it seemed useless. God, where are you? You ever felt that way? God, God, I don't understand. I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed. What's the point? Either you don't care or you're not able. I I, I don't know what you're doing. I can't, what other conclusion can I come to? Here's the story I'm telling myself. And the prophet, he had stood against the whole array of all of those against God, the king, the evil prophets, their false religion, and he had won a mighty victory for God. And he awoke the next day and he expected that the people would rise up and embrace that, that the king and the queen would rise up and say, Fire from heaven, that's the real God, let's step into this. What he found instead was a death threat that Jezebel hadn't moved one inch, that God on his best day couldn't seem to break the power of evil, and he's afraid and totally discouraged and disappointed with God, and he ran. I want you to see a second thing. Realize it's not your circumstances that are depressing you. But it's your thoughts about your circumstances that are depressing you. It's not your circumstances that are depressing you. you say, yeah, it is my circumstance. That woman, you know, that man, that husband, that wife, that they're, they're, they're depressed. No, it's not them. It's the thoughts about that, your circumstances that are depressing you. The voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And here it is. It, he says, It, I've been zealous for the Lord God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Da 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 da. And there he goes in his thing again. It's emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is when we listen to our feelings rather than the facts. You focus on how you feel rather than what's true. But see, most of us think that our emotions are telling us the truth, right? Let me tell you a little secret, you might want to just write this down somewhere on the side of the page, emotions lie. Did you know that? See a lot of us have never even, that's going to be a revelation for some of us. I just feel it, I feel it in my gut, I just feel it, I feel it and I know it because I feel it. The Bible never says that we're to depend on our emotions for that, now emotions Or a gift from God, they're important. They're kind of like the check engine light. If it's way off, you know, you feel these, uh, my emotions are, something's going on here. I need to to, to figure out where the truth is. I need to figure out what's going on. I need to maybe have a good physical, all of these kind of things. That's what emotions are for. But you don't depend on them for truth because they lie all the time. You see, you could just ask any athlete after a great victory, They usually go into a depression. Even after the Super Bowl, even after the World Series, a lot of times, they'll go into depression. They've depleted themselves. Ask any musician or or artist or actor, or ask any preacher. I always tell young preachers, let me give you a good word of advice, don't resign on Monday, because you'll only feel like doing that about every other Monday, because you're depleted, And, and, and so we begin to see that The truth is, some of you have come to church this morning and you don't feel God at all. You feel like he's a million miles away. But the truth is, he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved from those days when you felt him. He hasn't moved from those days when you experienced him. Or some of you during the week, you say, if I could just go back to that song that Robin sang or Blake sang or, you know, if I could just get back to that, I mean, oh, that was, I was crying, I felt God, and now I just see my boss and I just see the devil. <laughs> it's just a devil. You know, some of you are out there and that train stopped on the tracks and you're going like, it's a devil train. I don't feel God anymore. I don't even know if I'm going to go. Don't let UPS keep you from church you know or well not UPS what is it? Yeah it is UP Union Pacific Railroad right? UPS could do it too I guess but here, here's the deal I'm waiting on a package at home yeah that one's free I just threw that in there I don't even know where that came from but God is he's still here he's right where he always was he hasn't Moved, you can't listen to your feelings. How many husbands and wives have lost that love and feeling? You talk to anybody that's been married more than about three days, they lost that love and feeling. <laughs> right? It, I mean, it comes and goes. Marriage is a commitment. It's not a feeling. And if you want to live in your feelings, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're going to be married a, a lot of times. And, and uh, that's just how it's going to be. So Elijah, he, he rehearsed his prayer. He felt it. He felt like a failure. He felt like God didn't know what he was doing. And, and, and so he says all of these things. They did all this. this. The people, they haven't moved. They haven't turned. Is this true? We're going to find out in a moment. It's not true. But he says, God, you, you obviously, you don't know what you're doing. He's blaming God, even though he's speaking about the people. He's really blamed the God who, who had let him down and You know, I think Elijah believed, as we do a lot of times, that if we're zealous for God, if we knock ourselves out, if we go the extra mile, then God kind of owes us a response, but he does not owe us anything. So when God does respond, sometimes he responds in ways that we don't expect and we don't see and we don't feel. God taught Elijah this by a beautiful, natural parable. Look at it, verse 11. The Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. It's like this, uh, this tornado, hurricane force wind coming through and the, the rocks are even shattered. And after the wind, an earthquake, can you imagine, and the mountains just shaking back and forth. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in The earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. This huge raging fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then there's a phrase in Hebrew that's very difficult to translate. And it says this. After the fire came a gentle whisper. That's the best we can translate. Some say a gentle blowing, a gentle breeze. But a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What was the meaning of all this? It's not that hard to understand. Elijah's problem was that he thought that God always operated in thunder and lightning and power. And that's what some of you are saying. God, just lightning from heaven today. That's what I need. Strike that boss of mine. Or do whatever needs to be done. Or this woman. I'll back away from her just a little bit. You get her. That's not... Some of you moved a little bit right then. That's not what he's saying. God's telling him, I'm the Lord. I'm not who you expect me to be, and I move in ways that that you don't know. Elijah probably thought these idols will never be swept from the land unless a mighty wind of God comes and just wrecks them. Or uh, an earthquake comes and just, you know, like a moral earthquake and just moves through the... The place, or, or maybe a baptism of fire, that's what we need. And God's going, I'm moving. You don't see me, but I'm moving in a, a powerful way. And it's a gentle whisper. That's how God usually moves, just a gentle whisper. See, what he's saying to Elijah is just like the forces. I spun this world, and it's still moving at 1,000 miles an hour. Spinning at a thousand miles an hour. More than that. Right now it's spinning at that speed. Do you feel it? No. And it's moving around the sun faster than that. And the sun and the planets are moving in the solar system faster than that. Do you feel any of those powerful things? No. If you were depending on your feelings, you'd say, we're just sitting here. No, you're not. You're moving at tremendous speed. And that's what God is trying to say. You don't feel me sometimes you don't even know what I'm doing sometimes you've prayed for that child forever and you're so depressed and so discouraged and you think I'm not moving I'm moving you just don't recognize it because I'm moving in a way that you don't expect I'm moving with a still small voice a little whisper number three only thinking and acting on that's what believing is actually Thinking and acting on God's truth will set you free from depression eventually. Only thinking and acting on, believing God's truth, will set you free from depression. And I say eventually. It's not an immediate thing. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. So, and then he says this, and I wrote it down there for you in your notes. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And God says, there's 7,000 just like you. In this parable that he had given him, God saying, you look to me to answer your prayers with signs and wonders. That's the way you've always thought, but I move in a quiet way, gently, softly, unperceived. Even Jesus came down. They thought he would come down and stand on the mountain and proclaim himself God. He came in a stable as a little baby dressed in peasant clothes. Crazy what God does. And the intervention from God is saying, Elijah, we're done talking. It's time for you to move. Did you know that you get out of depression by movement? Did you know that? It's time for you to move. Some of us would just like the discussion to go on forever. God, I'm so depressed. I'm going to sit here on the couch. I'm never going to move. And he's saying, get up and begin to move. Some of you need to move to counseling. Some of you need to move and begin to to reach out into the lives of others. Maybe suffering from the same thing you are so that you can get your eyes off of yourself. He said, you've assumed the battle was, was over at Carmel, but the battle is not over. It's a long war. I'm working behind the scenes, generation after generation is to come. One day I will defeat sin and hell through my son Jesus. But that's a long way off. And right now I need you to just obey. Don't look for success. Obey. Take the next right step. Go from here and put a a new king over Aram or Syria because I'm the Lord of all the earth. I want you to put a new king in the place of Ahab and Jezebel. Anoint a new king because they're going to die in noble deaths really soon. I'm moving. I know what I'm doing. Anoint your successor because prophet after prophet after prophet will speak to the people and their hearts will turn and you'll see it. And Elijah, what did he do? He got up and he went. I want to show you a video of a really courageous young lady in our church. And she's gone through a lot and she wants to share her story with you. I want you to take a look at Hannah Epp's Story. Listen to it, we'll talk about it.
1: Growing up when sports and softball is all I've ever known and basically all I did 24-7, it kind of became my identity and all that I felt that Hannah was. I wanted to perfect that aspect of myself when it came to fitness or softball. And the beginning of my freshman year was when my issue with food first started. I would begin by cutting out a bowl of ice cream every night after dinner, then I would slowly cut out dinner, and then it led to cutting out all three meals and not eating anything substantial throughout my day. It would, it would come down to the point where all I was eating was um, a handful of grapes and say a bowl of yogurt a day. I would take a shower at night and I would run my hand through my hair and piles of my hair would come out with it as a result of my malnutrition. And at the same time that all of this was happening and my health was deteriorating, I was still playing softball 24 seven. My parents started noticing and we kind of had an intervention um, where I said, look, I, I have a problem with food. So the end of my freshman year came and i was being looked at by many colleges um, one of them being the university of baylor and i committed to the university of baylor Um, all the while i was completely sick mentally and physically as well here you are you finally have gotten what you wanted out of life out of life you know Um, you have the next four years of your life under control. Food will start to fall into place. Everything will start to fall into place. Um, That was the complete opposite. I didn't realize that me wanting control over food or the way I looked was kind of distracting me from the deeper issues going on in my head. The body that I wanted was there. I couldn't even make it up my stairs in my house without wanting to faint at the top or without having to catch myself on the railing because I was too physically weak. When I started realizing how severe that issue was and how severe my health was, um, that's when I, I reached out to my parents and said, I need to get help. Um, and when I went, went to the nutritionist, um, they, they helped me with my diet and with the food I should eat, but along with that came Um, some restrictions on what I could do physically um, because the state of health that I was in, both physically and mentally. um, My nutritionist told me that I was no longer allowed to even walk up my stairs too fast. Um, And when I heard that, I thought, how am I not supposed to walk up my stairs when I'm committed to Baylor and I'm supposed to be practicing three hours a day Running, you know that is that is not going to happen. When when Baylor had been taken away from me, um, I was filled with rage and sadness, and my rage was directed towards God because I had my life figured out. God, why did you why did you take control of it? This this is my life to control. I slowly sank into a depression. I would. Wake up in the morning and see my alarm and see that I had to go to school, um, but I refused to get up. I had no hope or motivation to get up in the mornings anymore because what what have I had to live for? I'm no longer the size I want to be. I no longer look like what I want to look like. I don't I don't have Baylor. You know, I'm nothing. Like and so I would just go back to sleep. I would miss school. I would sleep all day. Um, because sleep was the place that I could escape my reality when my mom would wake me up and help me get up. I would be physically at school and physically present, Um, but mentally I was so far gone. Um, One time a teacher asked me where my homework was and uh, I just kind of gave her the answer of, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't get to it. When really in my head I was thinking, you know, how can you be asking for me for my homework when at night I'm sitting in my room thinking of ways not not to kill myself, you know? And um, when I started thinking that in my head in class about, what if you weren't here? Um, you know, what if what if you were gone? This would be so much easier. Um, and that's when... Suicidality and the thought of taking my own life really became an issue. Um, when I realized that, you know, ending my own life um, wouldn't be something that I could do, or isn't something I'm willing to do, and isn't something that I stand for or believe in, um, then I turned to self harm. And I just began cutting on my wrist. Um, and I would cut until my physical pain outweighed my emotional hurt, where it was something that I could control and something that took um, my emotional hurting away. Being someone who was so sick physically and mentally, I was seeing multiple doctors at the time, and I was taken to my eating disorder doctor who helped me kind of with my health and all of that, who did my checkups. one day, she was taking my pulse, and I had worn a big bracelet to cover up my cuts, thinking that she wouldn't see it. Um, and she moved the bracelet out of the way, and she found them. I don't think I've ever felt so many emotions. <laughs> Most of them directed at myself, um, feeling ashamed of myself, disappointed in myself. But you know, a lot of them at her too. Of why do you have to find these? You know. You, these were not meant for you to see. My bracelet was there. Um, but little did I know in the future that her finding that would save me, you know? I thought I just found security in the fact that I had my future figured out, but I soon learned that I cannot control the ultimate controller. You know, it doesn't work like that. I could put a bandage on my wrist, but I, I couldn't put one on my heart. I didn't realize what I was doing to my own self. Um, And so one Thursday, my parents, and saying this, we, I had never been a First Thursday before (laughs) because at the time I could barely even leave my house. Um, And you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to First Thursday, I'm going to raise my hands and sing, just like all other people, I'm going to sit and pretend to listen like I usually do in church. It was at the end of First Thursday, it was like, the last thing he was doing and he and Mark said, you know, we're gonna sing a song and if you are at the end of your rope and you just need someone, I need you to stand, you're gonna stand up. And I stood up during that song and all these strangers around me just put their hands on me and started praying for me, like for me, someone who hasn't been even, even been praying for myself. And in that moment, um, a, a light just went off and said, "Look, if all of these strangers can have this hope in you and this hope in something that at the time I didn't realize was God that they had their hope in, but if they can have all this hope in Him, why can't I?" And so in that moment, I chose I chose Jesus as my way and not those other things. Life is about you know focusing on that hope and focusing on Jesus, and I had finally realized that.
0: Now here's the thing. That's just a start. Hannah's still in that journey. She's still in the midst of all of it, just as all of us are, but we're here for each other. And that's how I want us to finish out this service today. I'll I'll finish the notes next week, but let's be here. Don't move, don't head out. I'm gonna ask the band to come out, and they're gonna sing, come to the altar. And here's what I want you to do. We're gonna have people that are looking for you, okay? up here at the front and what I want you to do just like Hannah did just like Hannah did I want you just to stand up where you are if you're hurting so I'm gonna ask you all to stay seated and don't move this is our moment there's someone around you that's dealing with this if you're not you say this is me maybe you're just discouraged with God maybe you realize for the first time you're angry with God but you know that's okay maybe you're feeling depressed maybe you're dealing with suicide we're all here together we're a big family together we just love you we care about you so what I'm gonna ask you to do as the band sings as Blake and Robin sing over you come to the altar you stand up and now brothers and sisters around what I want you to do when you see someone stand up you stand up and put your hand on them reach over to them move if you need to to get there because there'll be people standing up all over I want you to move okay Now, don't get up and and, and try to leave. If you try to leave, someone's going to pray over you, okay? I mean, that's just how it works. So, I want you to stand where you are if this is you and you're dealing with any of this. Maybe you're so discouraged over a circumstance, a son or a daughter. It's not the circumstance. It's what you're thinking about, that God's not moving. And you just need God to change that. Whatever it is right now, I want you to do it. Blake, Robin, sing over us. Stand right where you are. We'll pray for you. Brothers and sisters, reach out. Put your hand on those who...